1: My guest today is David Lombardo of Capitol Press Room, and he's going to talk about all of the stuff that's been happening in politics in New York State. So has – hi, Dave. Has has anything anything surprised you?
0: Has anything surprised me? Well, I would say that I could have seen Letitia James, the state attorney general, going either way on her – Uh, potential gubernatorial bid. I think there were reasons for her not to jump into the race, as she did at the end of October. And I think there were reasons for her to get in. So I wouldn't say her decision to run was necessarily a a surprise, but I would definitely say I could have seen both sides of that decision-making process.
1: So do you think there's going to be a number of candidates running for governor? In 2022?
0: Well, I'd say there's going to be at least two on the Democratic side. Uh, whether there'll be a lot more, I'm not so sure, because if I was a Democratic candidate who wasn't named Governor Kathy Hochul or Attorney General Tish James, I would look around the political landscape and say, I don't really see a lane that I can occupy that will get me to a primary victory, whether that's 40% of the vote, to uh, 50% of the vote, 30% of the vote, depending on how many people are in there. So we heard reports uh, from Politico New York at the end of the month that outgoing New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio was laying down some of the groundwork for a potential gubernatorial bid, as has been speculated for a couple months now. But if I'm de Blasio, I don't see a way that I can become governor. All I can see is a way that I can stop maybe Tish James from becoming Democratic nominee. But Bill de Blasio has shown, based on his presidential run, that he doesn't necessarily have the best uh, gauge on his potential to win an election. And then you also have uh, New York City public advocate Jumani Williams, who Mm -hmm. already jumped into the race in the sense that he had been exploring a run for about a month and filed paperwork to run at the end of October. If I'm him, and I see the entrance of Letitia James into this race. I see her as heavyweight and I'm maybe a, a middleweight or lightweight contender compared to her. And, and I'm going to get out of the race because all I'm going to do is take away from her and the constituency that we share. And I think that will ultimately hurt his political future down the road. So I think it's really going to be a two person matchup. The other real variable here are the uh, white male Long Island Democrats in the shape of Tom Swasey, uh, congressman mm-hmm. uh, out in Queens and Long Island and Steve Ballone, the Suffolk County executive. What calculations are they going to make? Do they see a pathway? Again, I think the constituency that they appeal to is a very small portion of the Democratic primary voters in June. So if I were them, I wouldn't get in. But again, if these players that we talked about do get in, it makes for a completely different campaign dynamic considering how you just need a much smaller piece of the electorate in order to win the primary.
1: Do you think that there's a remote possibility that Andrew Cuomo might throw his hat in the ring?
0: Well, how, how low is remote? Because I would say it's uh, almost non-existent. I think that he has the ability to get into the race because he has the resources. He has, you know, as of his July campaign finance filing, $18 million of cash on hand. He's been spending that money. We don't know the rate at which he's been spending it on on legal counsel. We'll get a better idea in, in January when he has to do his next filing. So he has money to set up a campaign apparatus. But do we really think that People are going to help him collect signatures that he would need to get on the ballot because he's not going to get the 25 percent he would need at the state Democratic primary to get on the ballot. So it seems from a logistical point, logistical standpoint, it's very challenging for him. And then just from the you know, electoral politics of it, I would not think that I'd want to spend the time and energy to run a losing campaign, which I think it ultimately would be
1: the state chairman is has been aligned with Cuomo. So what makes you think he won't get the 25%? Well,
0: partially because the state chair has told him uh, and said this on our show that he, the governor shouldn't run. And I don't think that uh, the party chairs at the local level are going to rally behind Cuomo. I think they have uh, enough good options in the shape of Kathy Hochul and Letitia James that they wouldn't need to uh, turn to a disgraced former governor to rescue their party.
1: When you say the word disgraced, you know you follow politics.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you really? Do you really think he is disgraced? Yes. Why?
0: Yes. Why? Uh, Because he's had multiple women come forward uh, with detailed allegations of sexual misconduct, sexual harassment. And I think that the report from State Attorney General Letitia James makes a compelling case about his personal misbehavior as well as uh, a hostile environment that he fostered in the executive chamber. And I think by the mere fact that he resigned from office uh, under the threat of impeachment uh, all
1: qualifies
0: to use the label of disgraced.
1: Well, uh, Donald Trump has been alleged to do a lot, a lot worse. And he joked about it. Uh, What do you say about that? I mean, I think getting
0: getting lost up in whataboutism is a mistake that people involved in partisan politics get involved in. I think Donald Trump could be uh, a bad person and could have uh, committed sexual misconduct as multiple women have alleged. And I don't think his behavior would excuse anything that Andrew Cuomo may or may not have done.
1: So... As far as, since i talked about Donald Trump, what about the Republicans? Who do you think they're going to put up to run for governor?
0: Well, it really seems like the party is circling around Lee Zeldin, a congressman from Long Island and a former state senator, which is why we in the Capitol know him. And when I talk about the party, I really mean the uh, establishment, the GOP establishment, so Mm -hmm. party leaders, uh, elected officials. And I I think that at the end of the day is going to be enough to rally uh, enough primary support for him. If there is a primary come June. Um, I think the last time we saw this similar dynamic in the Republican party was in 2010, in which case uh, the party establishment was rallying around Rick Lazio and we had this outsider businessman in the form of Carl Paladino, who mm-hmm. was actually able to win the primary against Blasio because he was able to appeal to some of the grassroots Republicans and get people excited, even though he hadn't rallied that partisan, su- the, the party support. I don't really see there being a way for, Rob Astorino or Andrew Giuliani, the two Republican candidates sort of on the outside looking in to rally that same sort of Paladino energy. For my money, Rob Astorino is kind of like Lee Zeldin light. He's an establishment Republican, former elected official, a uh, big backer of Donald Trump. Andrew Giuliani may have a better case for saying that he could rally some of that outsider energy. He doesn't have a elected background. He was, very ingrained in, in Donald Trump's uh, orbit, even if maybe not like the most critical policymaker. So maybe there's a pathway for Giuliani to do something, but I also don't think he has the energy or the money to get an apparatus going the way that Palladino did. I know Giuliani has name recognition that Palladino never had in 2010, but Palladino had a lot of enthusiasm and got people very excited and Rick Lazio did not I think Lee Zeldin is getting some Republicans excited especially amongst the establishment
1: What about John Casco?
0: I don't imagine he would run for governor
1: Okay because he's not exactly the most popular congressman and one of the issues that he's brought up is student loan debt, and there are, there are many, many people in this state with student loan debt, so I think his message could resonate. What do you think?
0: I think that John Katko, a Republican congressman from central New York, would have a couple different problems for any sort of path to the executive mansion. First off, uh, he's not very well liked amongst Republicans. So he would have a tough time winning a, a primary. He's kind of a candidate of convenience in central New York because he represents uh, like the 20 congressional district, which has mm-hmm. a very, it's a very purple district. So it means he needs to be kind of moderate, which has not ingrained him in the conservative movement uh, in that area. And as a result, I don't think he would have uh, an easy time making his way through a statewide Republican primary. And then you have the challenge then of a general election where he would be a Republican on the ballot in a state that is heavily Democratic. So I I don't really see a pathway for John Katko. Maybe there's a calculation he makes upon redistricting getting completed, where he sees his district just being unwinnable because of how it might be drawn in the future. Say if there's many more Democrats added to his uh, district and the, Calculation just doesn't work, and he says, okay, well, if I'm going to lose uh, my congressional seat, I might as well throw my hat in the gubernatorial ring. But at that point, I think it will be too late in the process because we're talking late December, early January. So no matter what issue he seizes upon, I don't see a pathway or even a reason why John Catco would run for governor. Uh,
1: look, uh, and I, I believe it was the same day that Tish James – Declared her candidacy for governor, that Zephyr Teachout said that she would want to run again for attorney general. What do you what do you think about Zephyr Teachout making another shot for attorney general?
0: Well, just in terms of that timeline, first off, Zephyr Teachout, who ran for attorney general in 2018 and lost in a crowded primary to attorney general Tish James. Uh, had said in the weeks leading up to this that if Letitia James ran for governor, she would run again, and she really just uh, reaffirmed that last week as well. I think that Teachout needs to be considered a serious candidate, at least for now, in terms of a Democratic primary for Attorney General. But this race is going to get very crowded, I anticipate, very quickly. And I don't think that Zephyr Teachout will be – one of the heaviest hitters uh, once the field is completely filled up of democratic contenders. I think we're going to see Mike Gianaris uh, the number two Senate Democrat get into the race. This is something that he's wanted for a a while and he would occupy the same sort of lane as Zephyr Teachout in terms of progressives, but he also has much more establishment support than than she could ever rally. And he has access to much more money and can rally uh, unions in a way that she can't. And then I think we might see uh, Congressman Congresswoman Kathleen Rice get in the race. This is something that she's uh, tried to make happen before. Uh, and there could also be some district attorneys around the state uh, out in Brooklyn. Uh, the DA there could be a potential contender. So right now, when it's just Zephyr out and Assemblymember Clyde Vanell, a Queens Democrat who's talked about running, I think that Teachout has to feel pretty good about herself, but I think this race is going to be very crowded very quickly and I think that she's going to drop down to maybe a, a second tier candidate.
1: Let's go back 3 years. If Sean Patrick Maloney was not in the race,
0: mm-hmm.
1: do you believe that Teachout could have won?
0: Um, I don't think they necessarily appealed to the same constituency. Uh, Sean Patrick Maloney was sort of occupying that moderate Democratic lane and I think that that Zephyr Teachout was much further to the left. Uh, If we think about that race, I think it was about 40% for Leticia James, about 30% for Teachout and about 25% for Sean Patrick Maloney. I, I have to imagine that The vote probably would have been split up uh, amongst the other candidates as well as Leisha Eve. I also think that if Maloney doesn't get in the race, maybe someone else gets in the race because they see uh, an avenue where they can occupy uh, the same lane that he's in. Um, But, you know, I could be wrong that a two-way race plus Leisha Eve is definitely a different dynamic than a three-way race plus Leisha Eve. So I guess anything's possible, um, but I, I don't necessarily think it would have been to the benefit of that would teach out if Maloney wasn't in the race.
1: Do you think Eve is going to jump in again? No. Okay. Okay, let's talk a, a little bit about local politics. Have you been following the um, mayor's race in Buffalo? Uh, yeah, from you know,
0: 200 plus miles away, but but yeah, we've been uh, trying to stay on top of the debates as well as the endorsements in the race. Uh, we've been particularly interested in the endorsements uh, and, and lack of endorsements from Democratic leaders in New York, and trying to understand the tea leaves. Uh, as to what those decisions mean. We actually spoke with Neil Quatra, a political consultant who's the founder and CEO of Metropolitan Strategies, to try to understand uh, the decision-making process of Governor Kathy Hochul, who is sitting on her hands in this race, as well as Attorney Mm -hmm. General Letitia James, who didn't make an endorsement, and Congressman Tom Swazi, that we mentioned earlier as potential gubernatorial contender on the Democratic side, who jumped in with both feet for uh, Byron Brown, writing... An op-ed in which he was really, I think, making a larger case for the vision he has of the Democratic Party, uh, which is much more centrist, which is much more, I guess, uh, pragmatic and kind of reads like opening salvo for a race for governor or some sort of office. Um, So that's kind of how we've been focusing on this race, as well as looking at some of the polling that's come out uh, of this race uh, with the caveat that any of the polling is very challenging considering the unusual dynamic of a race that pits uh, a Democratic candidate against a write-in campaign from the former, uh, well, current mayor of the city.
1: I find that race pretty interesting because, like you said, a lot of the politicians have been um, sitting on the sidelines except for Chuck Schumer. Yes, and Kirsten Gillibrand, and my my theory is that both of them are afraid not to um, not to endorse India because AOC might be gunning after them, meaning Schumer or Gillibrand, if they don't embrace India. What do you think? I think that's
0: a pretty smart take. Um, If not AOC, then maybe someone else who tries to rally the progressive wing of the party in the future. When we talked with Neil about the endorsements and what might hurt someone in terms of non-endorsements, we were talking about Kathy Hochul and could she be hurt by someone on the far left for not endorsing India Walton. And he made the case that she only gets hurt by it if one of her opponents is able to use it as a weapon. And Letitia James who has set out of the race has not afforded herself an opportunity to use that as a weapon because she hasn't weighed in. Uh, Potentially if Jumani Williams stayed in the gubernatorial race, he could hit Kathy Hochul and Letitia James as not being progressive allies for not endorsing India Walton. So then taking that same sort of principle and looking at a future Gillibrand or Schumer primary, then yeah, maybe this could come back to to, to bite them in the butt if they didn't back Walton. And uh, that really has a case where there are candidates who could try to weaponize it. I think it's kind of hard to imagine that Schumer will face a a primary from uh, AOC because I believe his next election is in 2022, and Mm -hmm. if someone was going to primary him, uh, you really want to have a a, a candidacy announced at this point, considering the rate of the primaries in June. And since AOC hasn't announced at this point, I I just don't see that happening now. Maybe Gillibrand in the future, though.
1: Okay. Okay. So, you know, when we started doing uh, shows, we decided we're going to do one once a month. So this is the beginning of November, and um, the local races are going to happen. And then December with the holidays. So in January, um, the legislature will be back here. They'll be gearing up the session. Do you think this this coming um, legislative session is going to be interesting or or the um, politicians will be concerned about winning their elections. Do you think it'll be a, a fun and interesting session or pretty dull and boring?
0: Well, Cynthia, I'm a little biased because of uh, what I've chosen to do as my career, but I think every session in Albany is very interesting. And I think this one has the makings of another interesting session because there are so many fun dynamics at play here. Just because we have all these primaries indicates that there's going to be a lot of posturing likely in the months leading up to the primaries. So if I'm Governor Kathy Hochul, I'm thinking about how I can use the budget process to strengthen my primary candidacy. And I think part of that will mean trying to appeal to different uh, constituencies in the Democratic primary. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see some handouts to some of the uh, big labor unions uh, in the state, whether it's CSEA or PES, as the governor tries to uh, rally their support for a primary uh, victory endorsement. And then I also think there's the chance that we're going to see real pressure from progressives to make some of their policy wish list happen, which is going to create kind of an awkward situation for hopeful at the same time, because she needs to calculate how many progressives does she need to win a primary and how many of her base the more moderate democratic voters does she need to hang on to, 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 to win a primary, because that's where her, you know, key supporters are going to be. So what does that mean say for the New York health act uh, legislation that would, make single-payer health care the way of New York State. I think that there's going to be a lot of pressure for Hochul to make at least some sort of signal that she's supportive, even though I don't think that Bill's going to get an actual vote this year. I think we'll see renewed discussion around criminal justice uh, reforms, largely in the parole arena. I think we're going to see, in light of the primary victories in 2018 and 2020 by progressives, including Democratic socialists, we're going to see incumbent Democratic lawmakers in the Assembly and Senate sort of looking over their shoulders during the entire legislative session. And we've already seen primaries announced uh, against Brian Kavanaugh, a state senator, as well as Kevin Parker, another state senator, and Eric Delon, a member of the Assembly. So there's just going to be more of those, and that's going to really shape how people approach this session. One of the other things that I care about as a reporter is – what is the actual logistics of this session look like? Is this going to be another hybrid session that's partially done remotely and partially done in person? Um, Will there be big changes to the state's open meetings law in that same vein? Um, So I'm, I'm very excited. And I think at least the first three months, uh, that budget process will be a lot of fun to watch. I think there's also the possibility that lawmakers who see the calendar rapidly approaching towards the middle of the session with the primaries in June. We'll try to wrap things up maybe end of May or at the very earliest, uh, at the very latest, early June, so that they have plenty of time to work on their primaries.
1: Do you think that uh, Andrew Cuomo will have any influence during this next legislative session?
0: I think he will have some sort of influence. I think it's waning influence with every day based on the decisions he's been making. Uh, And I also think it'll be waning influence based on whatever is going on in a potential criminal case, whatever's going on in a potential report from the Assembly Judiciary Committee. So I think there is definitely a wing of the Democratic Party, a shrinking wing that tries to be cognizant of what he's doing. And even if they might not be thinking about the recent announcements that he's coming out with, I think they're a part of the party that has definitely had his style of politics imprinted on its thinking. And so I think that they will continue to try to push his brand of cutthroat politics uh, in the party, even if he's not the head of the party.
1: So from your perspective, it's going to be a pretty interesting year.
0: Yeah. I mean, and like I said, I'm biased and I, you know, I I judge i have pretty low bar since I think all this stuff's pretty exciting. So yeah, I I think it'll be interesting. And I I look forward uh, to, to covering this session, especially as we try to emerge from the pandemic and look at, some potential economic challenges in terms of rising inflation and a job recovery that is still not at pre-pandemic levels here in New York.
1: So give yourself a little uh, plug with your radio show, Capital Press Room. Well, I hope everyone will get a chance
0: to tune in uh, this week. We're going to be speaking with the Assembly Health Committee Chair, Dick Godfrey. We're going to hear from the Assembly Environmental Conservation Committee Chair, uh, Steve Englebright. We're going to be uh, doing a recap of the Supreme Court's hearing of a gun control law in New York that's uh, being challenged. And people can also dig through our archives on our website, which is capitalpressroom.org. They can also stay up to date on the show with new episodes and old episodes by downloading the show wherever you get podcasts Uh, we're at capital press room right there. And if you're listening via an Apple device, we hope people will leave a rating and review because it helps other people find the show as well. So uh, a lot of exciting stuff going on. And hopefully in December, we'll be doing some recaps of uh, the year that was.
1: Um, Oh, great. Maybe we could do a recap on focus on Albany. What do you think?
0: I think that makes a lot of sense to, assess a very busy year and you know pivot to the future and what that may hold
1: great so thank you you've been listening to David Lombardo um, reporter at the Capitol Press Room I'm Cynthia Pooler this is Focus on Albany if you like this show like us on Facebook follow us on Twitter Dave we'll talk again at the beginning of this uh, December thank you